Hey, thanks for joining us on Sisterhood as We Know It. Today, we're going to talk about the Hillsong scandal of Carl Lenz, things we're obsessed with, and of course, episode five of The Undoing. Dream a little dream. Welcome to the show. You're listening to Sisterhood as We Know It with Deed and Son. Taylor Swift just announced, literally just announced, that tonight at midnight, Disney Plus is premiering The Making of Folklore, or Folklore the Movie. But it sounds like it's a documentary, another musical, insight into Taylor. Um, I'm a Swifty fan, son's a Swifty fan, so I just think it's really smart of everybody. Both, It's a win-win situation for both Taylor Swift and four. This is the first one on on Disney Plus, right? Or did she have one already? I thought I think this is her first one. So, of course, I'll be watching. Will you be watching, Sen? I will be watching. Anyhow, I'm 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 podcasting from Lake Tahoe, Tahoe City. So fancy. You've been doing a really good job of keeping us up to date on your snow adventures and the Tahoe beauty that you're experiencing up there. So, thanks for sharing that with us on our stories. You know, I like to show the powder, the sugar dust. Well, it's interesting, you know, being a beach person and a person who does not, I'm not a snow person. So, you know me, I brought all the thermals and all the layers. And so by the time I get outside, I'm hot. <laughs> Kids are hot. And I'm just like, just keep, just keep moving. Because <laughs> we made them, we made them walk to the snow area because we're actually, the neighborhood we're in is actually next to a hiking trailer trail. So there's a lot of great fresh snow. It looks like a storybook when you see it it's like a blanket and it's like whoa this is real and then when you step into it it's like whoa so anyways there's a lot of things coming out this week on streaming and then the other thing which i i mentioned briefly is that debbie allen and debbie allen is an actress um, executive producer director writer dancer she's on she's uh, on the cast of Grey's anatomy she owns her own dance company in los angeles called dance academy of debbie allen dada she directs many Grey's Anatomy episodes more than she acts in them. She's directing the new Dolly Parton Christmas Street or Christmas Parade musical coming out on Netflix this Friday as well. Like she's like huge and I I have so much respect for her. I, I just adore her. Anyhow, she has this production called Hot Chocolate Nutcracker, which is her dance company's production of the Nutcracker. And they're doing a film about it on Netflix and premier- it's premiering this Friday. So I'm very excited to see it. I'm super excited to see the hot chocolate nutcracker. I love to see all the different versions. I'm excited that you shared that with us. Okay, so along with that, we mentioned this last week as well. I have to plug it again. Everybody's doing Black Friday or Pink Friday or small business. Like there's just a ton of like Target, small businesses, and all retailers are doing, you know, early deals, which I think is super smart of everybody. Um and you know, I got some good deals, de- you know, deals on my own, just clothes for myself, just because, I mean, you can't beat 60% off plus another 10% or 50% off plus another 10% off. Son, have you bought anything? I'm doing my best to shop small this Christmas because we all know that Amazon has been thriving through the pandemic because it is so oh, convenient have. and easy and almost anything that you need is available via Amazon. But I have found some really cute local shops and boutiques and online boutiques that 
I have bought from for people this year, and I'm very excited about it. Cool. I'll have to check out SJ Made. Ibis is great. It's a it's definitely a cute little boutique in um, a quaint area of mm-hmm. San Jose. I shop similar to that, um, but not local. I shop through. Um, I found this great boutique on the East Coast through, um, I think, through an influencer that tagged them. And it's called Molly and Kate. And it's Molly and Kate are sisters. Oh. And it was their dream to open up a shop together. But they're based in Buffalo, mm-hmm. New York. And so my sweater that says the city of good neighbors is the saying for Buffalo, New York. And so, cool. um, yeah. So anyhow, I'm probably going to, that's encouraging me because I've been eyeing their website and they've been like posting, you know, small business um, support as well. Um, so exciting. Okay. And then one last thing before we get into the scandal, because Thanksgiving is two days away. How did that happen? No we were just talking about trick or treating. Um, okay. So what is the fam doing? What has been the decided? I want to know the design because here's a little background. So, um, since I'm, um, out of town, um with my husband's side of the family this week for thanksgiving we did an early pre-thanksgiving um last week and i did a traditional meal had it catered for the first time which we can do a whole other podcast about that because that was great it was by the party helpers and um, they were amazing if you're in the bay area party helpers is we highly recommend wouldn't you say dean yes great service delicious food it was well worth it i mean i I would highly recommend them yes five stars for sure let's get into it let's let's um let's talk about carl lentz okay so hillsong let's 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 zoom out a little bit so if any of you have heard of hillsong i'm going to confess i only thought of hillsong as a worship group because there's so much every like there i don't know how big their worship group is it's like 20 plus people like, oh, Hillsong this. You can Spotify, Apple Music, or just even Google or any any streaming music you do and just put Hillsong in there. And it will just come. It has its own radio. It has tons and tons of albums. Um, so I thought it was just a production, a Christian music production company or um, worship production group because that's what I know they're known for. They are actually a mega church that was that came out of Australia back in 1983 and has about 80 churches worldwide in New York, LA, London, Paris, Israel, Rio de Janeiro, Phoenix, you name it, it's there. And it, it, um, and, and it claims, you know, another reason why, aside from it being so huge and, and, and being so streamlined in the Christian faith is um, it has followers such as Justin Bieber and Kylie Jenner Kendall and Kylie Jenner, Chris Pratt, Nick Jonas, Kevin Durant. So what I knew of Hillsong as a production, music production um, company is actually a branch of the Hillsong megachurch. And their lead pastor, Carl Lentz, from the New York City church, if you will, has been let go because of his recent affair I mean, they call it, Vanity Fair called it, quote, the COVID era five-month-long relationship. Oh, and side note, um, he's been married for 17 years, has three kids, and his wife, Laura, who was also a minister there, I don't know what she's, uh, um, what her area of the church is, but she's also leaving Hillsong as well. 
Um, there's claims that there's whispers that she was also let go. Um, who knows, but she's also leaving. Um, he's 41. So he's our peer, you know, a child of the eighties, uh, or late seventies. And I can relate to this person. I have three kids. I've been married for around the same amount of time and I'm not 40 yet. Yet. Yet is the key word there. I, I think it's, it's just, it's interesting. This whole story is scandals. Interesting. It's not shocking to me, to be honest. I'm not saying that like I'm jaded or, you know, I have a bad view of mega churches. Um, I just, there's a lot that happened in 2020. So, so this is like a walk in the park. If any, not even a walk in the park. This is like, you know, um, like peanuts. It's just, that's probably, maybe that's one of the reasons why it's not shocking me. But, um, what the biggest thing I was like, Hillsong is a church. I didn't even realize Hillsong was a church. He came out with um, a statement that he had um, been unfaithful in his marriage and he was stepping down from his uh, his role as lead pastor at Hillsong NYC. And that's a shock, right? I mean, yes, you're right. 2020 has had so many shocking things that it's like, okay, well, what's next? Right. But there's this, this is not the first time we've heard of scandals in mega churches. Right. And so, and then that, again, not that I'm jaded or like, oh, okay, but, and I'm not excusing him at all, but there's, there's been a, there's been a lot worse. My guess is the church knew about his affairs before. My guess is he's had more, this is not the first time of him having an affair. Whoa. Um, I did not read into that's that. That's my guess. I mean, um, I think in one of the articles it says that, I think the Daily Mail, you know, the really accurate. <laughs> <laughs> um, by the way, I do want to quote our sources, like our sources, Wikipedia, um the new york post vanity fair magazine good morning america um and Rele- good morning america and relevant magazine so these are the articles that we have drawn from um to get our information yeah so she said that she doesn't think she was the first one who had an affair with him a lot of the descriptions of this pastor described him as um narcissistic and you know too big to control understandably i mean you know his church in new york was huge i mean let's just give you some perspective here Worldwide, it reports 150,000 members in 23 countries. So you could only imagine how how big uh, or how powerful these pastors could be. But my guess is maybe there was something else that happened and that combined with this or just combined with all the sensitivity around everything because of, I don't know if it's just because of COVID, but my my instinct is that this is not the first time he had an affair, but maybe it was time for a change. Who knows? And this was just the right thing coming because I don't think a five month long affair would. And okay. Of course it's terrible and it's horrible, but if he, if he's so easy, the way we read about this relationship that this gal was just, sorry, not to be disrespectful, but kind of, you know, a side gig, you know, side hustle, um, um, that he didn't, it didn't sound like he was planning to from her. It didn't sound like he was planning to leave his wife or that he was troubled or anything. It's just, you know, it was like, he could do it. So why not do it? I, you know, it's kind of like what you see from, I think of lead pastors from mega churches as, you know, mini CEOs of huge co- um, corporations, because that's essentially what a mega church is. And so a lot of, you know, if you think about CEOs and, and vice presidents of corporate world, you know, having affairs or having scandals or, or you know, having something with someone from the company while they're, they're married, um, let alone politicians, is something that we see from people in power. Of course, being from 
the, a Christian organization, uh, let alone the pastor, the lead, that's the least thing you expect from them. You don't want them because you're looking to them for a moral compass. And so this is where we're getting into commentary here. That being all said, if it was a five-month COVID thing, it, it, I don't feel like he woke up one day, saw her, and was like, I'm going to have an affair. It just sounds like if it's a, a, such a relationship this short that that's why I think it, he he had more than one because this relationship was just sounded like a fling. It just sounded like just one of many. Um, now, if it was like a two-year-long relationship um and they did this and he was like i would leave your wife and all this stuff and it was going on in the background then i would think okay maybe this is something like only for the first time but the 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 length of it the way they met the way she described him i mean he did not even give her her his last name but let's just be let's just take a step back pastor no pastor guys (laughs) girls the guy doesn't give you his last name red flag red flag number one I think in the Vanity Fair article that I read, you know, Hillsong Australia the is um, headquarters. So the big bosses sit over there and they tell him what he can and cannot do. And he's not even trusted to drive himself anywhere. He has a driver. So that is a oh, rich yeah. church. I'm sorry, but that yes. is a rich church. And in another church. blog yep. that, I, um, that I read, and I'm going to have to cite it. It's called Janie the Cat, J-A-N-I, Janie the Cat, and her the title of her blog post is Hillsong NYC Dishonorable Mentions, and she was a ghostwriter for their Bible studies. She was the stage manager right. for their worship. She even said that she was on stage with a mic in hand, but her mic wasn't on. So it's like all these, you know, it's like theatrics, right? It's a lot of like smoke and mirrors of, you know, what you see, what is portrayed. And I'm kind of like picking up from all these different sources, but she even said that, that he was, you know, he was very egotistical and he would mansplain and he was, there's like a patriarchy within Hillsong, but there were, you know, other forms of, power and leadership that was not um that would that did not trickle down to others and that the problems in Hillsong are not just Carl Lenz that he was like he right like he's part of right he's part of the downfall of what makes Hillsong Hillsong so um it's interesting. Which they have great music. I, I need they to say they have really they have great, great music. music. And one of my okay, so our friend who tipped me off to the story of Carl Lenz being unfaithful to his wife, and then you know weeks later the the mistress comes out, Renine Kareem. She wanted to tell her side of the story, and I was like, how would they even meet in COVID times, especially in New York City of all exactly. places? Oh my gosh! And. Totally. They met at a park by her house. She lives in Brooklyn. She's an accessories designer in Brooklyn. And, um, but what I was going to say is that a friend of ours told us that of this affair and that one of the songwriters for Hillsong, the, the worship group, uh, has now denounced his faith in God, has become atheist. And Whoa. yes, and You're now there's a me. movement where people are refusing to listen to their music because they think that it is cursed. That's a whole other ball of wax. <laughs> wow. That's a whole other bubble. But I think here's, here's my, here's my view. And I think you raise a lot of really valid points and 
here's the thing. Any, anytime anything comes out from an organization that's based on faith, it's going to be, it's, it's going to have a huge stigma. It's going to go out into mainstream media and it's going to highlight uh, the obvious pit and downfalls of an organization. Now there's that part. Then there's the second part of like, okay, is there a problem aside from the fact that you cannot worship these organizations because at the end of the day, they are a business at the end of the day, even our own church. I mean, nonprofit. I mean, of course we, our foundation is on, you know, you know, spreading the gospel. Um, And, but I'm going to cite what relevant magazines here says that, you know, and here's a quote, we must do whatever we can do to make the the role of pastor one that truly allows for a person to be human. Um, We must do whatever it takes to not allow these men and women to be consumed by our expectations and worship of them. And I think that's key worship of them. I'm not, he's not, this person is not excusing um, at all the, the behavior. I'm going to quote the writer here because I I'm, I'm quoting um, from relevant. Um, and by the way, this, this article was reposted on November 6th. It was originally written in 2016. Um, 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 when there was um, other mega church scandals that right. came out. And again, these come out at least, uh, you know, quite often. And it was written, it's written by Eddie Kaufholtz. Um this is it's called the mega problem behind the falls of mega church pastors and, and relevant magazine is a christian based magazine that's uh, and he says and uh, let me just go on because when we do this we kill our pulpit and make humans out to be gods they were never meant to be and i think that's key here and i don't think that like the outside world worship that who's not a christian didn't worship these obviously because they didn't believe in christianity but i think it's a shock because it's like you're preaching to you know all these moral faithful right. values but you're being hypocritical so to wrap up the Hillsong scandal about Carl Lenz and his affair that could possibly end his marriage and has left him jobless for now, um, but he does have he does have rock star status. He's friends mm-hmm. with uh, very big names in the entertainment industry. So who knows what will what he'll do next? However, it's just very sad that this happened to his family and that he made the, the decisions or the choices that he made is has negatively affected his life. And we shall see what happens to Hillsong NYC and how they come back from this and how he comes back from this and all of it. It's a very interesting story. I think we could talk on and on about it, but yeah. And I, you know, I do, I do, um, you know, really do hope for the best for him and his wife and all involved. It just, it sounds, it sounds messy. Sounds very messy. Okay, so we all know who the killer is now. (laughs) Let's just get into it. Episode five, the second to the last episode of limited series on HBO called The Undoing. We have been obsessed. It stars Nicole Kidman and Hugh Grant, along with Donald Sutherland. And it's about, it's a whodunit about a prominent family or a wealthy family, I should say, a wealthy family in New York City in the Upper East Side 
Uh, the husband has been unfaithful. Oh, I mean, there's a parallel here. The, the husband has right. been unfaithful. <laughs> Hello. The mistress turns up dead. And it's all about who killed the mistress. This is the, what the story is. And, and it is about the undoing right. of the wife's life. All of the things she thought right. were so great in her life are now becoming undone. Um, I will add to that. Um, what we're seeing now of this undoing is, is, you know, and it depends on what you think of what's going on here is that it's the undoing of the murder as well, mm-hmm. because literally all the evidence points to Jonathan Frazier, which is Hugh Grant's character. I mean, he was there the night of her murder. He was with her. All of his DNA is all over her. Literally. I mean, they, they, they slept together that night. They, I mean, they, he he was literally on her and and so it's just like almost so obvious the only thing that's missing is an eyewitness and a murder weapon cliff notes for this episode before we get into the commentary real quick is that it is the um the hearing it take most of it takes place in the courtroom the big things that happen here are we see Haley fergus fitzgerald the the high-powered attorney that um president snow Donald Sutherland, the the father of um, Grace Fager, Nicole Kidman's character, hired out of basically everything was out of Grace's request that she really did her work. She she um, you know questioned the well being of the father instead because because she's trying to def- she's defending Jonathan Fraser. Her theory she's presenting in court is that it is the husband that killed her out of rage. Um, and so she asked him about- It is the victim's he, husband. The victim's husband. That's right. right. And so she used words like, I don't want to incite your rage. I, are, are you seeking psychiatric help? I mean, she was extremely vile there because she was doing her job. Um, the prosecution honed in on, it was Jonathan Fraser, and he brutally, brutally murdered this woman um, by using a sculptor's hammer to essentially crash um, her skull and um, the two other big things that come out of this is that we eagerly find out that the reason that Jonathan was to blame for the death of his four-year-old sister that he left the door open while he made a snack and she wandered out and she got hit by a car and for years up until liter- to this moment um, he told Grace it was a dog. And at the restaurant with their son, when the, the idea of the son saying, oh, we can become a family again. I, I know we can survive this. Mommy said we can survive this. We can have a dog. And dad, you can get over what you had. Or he mentioned that. And, he, and then that's when we find out. I will leave son to talk about the other major bomb drop in relation to that. Um, but the other thing that happens is that essentially Jonathan calls up Grace for to chat and she ends up walking across, walking down to go see her husband and sleep with him, which, you know, the writer of Vulture, who, who writes these articles on the recaps and the undoing, I, I love her. I'm going to get her name and say it on this podcast episode. But she said, I have no comment on that. Just no comment. And I, and I too have no comment. <laughs> so essentially, this episode was, um, and I'll leave Sun for the last two huge points of the Cliff Notes version of this, but essentially courtroom um they question the mental health of the widower the victim's father um uh, sorry husband um and we find out that um it was that jonathan um 
is estranged from his family because of the death of his four-year-old sister. Um, but there's more to it. So I'll pass it to Sun to say those are the last two. Eerie, eerie, eerie. Hugh Grant as Jonathan in, in The Undoing is so creepy at this point. I mean, okay, let's just all, let's take a little walk down memory lane really quick to the very first yes. time we spoke about this show and Deed was so intrigued and taken by Jonathan. And that's the thing yes. is that we all saw them, Jonathan and Grace Fraser, as this happy, normal successful couple in the very beginning and ever since i mean that is a far cry from what they are now they uh are no longer that because of the undoing of their their lives which is like deed said is very all signs point to jonathan being the killer and the mastermind behind all of this and in the beginning in the very beginning the son henry asks grace and jonathan for a dog he really wants a dog jonathan keeps telling him no grace finally confides in henry and says your dad would never want me to tell you this but he doesn't want a dog because he's responsible for killing the dog uh that their family had and explained that he was that the dog got out of the house while in henry's care i mean sorry while in jonathan's care and the dog got hit by a car so fast forward to now there the three of them he is out of jail on bail it is after day one of the trial where henry was sitting there which i thought was really inappropriate uh because the the prosecution talked about the brutal murder in front of this young child this boy henry and it just it was an inappropriate place for him to be it's not a place for children and unfortunately miguel the son of the victim was there as well so hearing this about your even though you know your mother is dead and was killed hearing the prosecution talk about it i mean even as a viewer you're just kind of like grossed out you are you are it's it makes you sick to your stomach thinking it's of the way right it, of the way that he, she was murdered so Henry knows the story of this of the dog that his dad did not watch carefully and got hit by a car. He brings this up at a family dinner. Which can we just pause right there sure. at this family dinner? Because as you know all know, Son and I can't just do close notes. We have to all like <laughs> input our but I thought that it was brilliant um to just show the pretentiousness of this family to have a mm-hmm. fancy lunch following the first courtroom date i mean Mm -hmm. they are having lunch in a beautiful new york city restaurant the 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 mother and father are having wine they're having multiple service i mean this is this is a like a five this is a five-star restaurant that they're going to lunch and the audacity for them to go to lunch following i mean i would not after that courtroom thing want to go out to eat i wouldn't want to go i would want to go back to my apartment my fancy apartment in the upper east side and have the maid cook something for me or just i don't know do doordash i don't even know if they do doordash but i just thought it was very it just showed again i think they're reminding us of their wealth their pretentiousness their privilege just have privilege just the three of them were having lunch i just could i couldn't believe it i couldn't that's okay i mean that's a lunch that you have that's a lunch that you have um when you're having brunch with your girlfriends and you want to have a nice day out shopping 
or you want to celebrate i mean let's just put you in perspective if i was going to go there for lunch it'd be son's birthday or my birthday or, my, or like taking our mom out to eat or something not following a brutal brutal first day in court at this point in the story this <laughs> is a this is a baffling. national story this is a national story there is there is press outside of the courtroom there is paparazzi there is just a lot of there it's getting a lot of attention and to be out and about amongst other people just seems uh yeah unbelievable that they would just think oh yeah let's go out to to lunch but not only any lunch a very fancy restaurant and um it just shows yeah their privilege and and even even shows and how they process yes how they process and even shows just the um i feel like that just shows their their state of being that their belief is we can go out because we are innocent and you're right you're right um, yeah Yeah. and but just their their processing of eating at a fancy lunch after that traumatizing first day in court i was like how how could you even bring yourself to go and eat exactly exactly when you're the when you're the one accused of murder but it just and so anyhow so they're having dinner at this fancy lunch and i have to say there was um some before son goes into it it was really funny how their breadsticks came coming <laughs> i felt like that was on purpose like, oh, 100%. like they couldn't they had to keep they had to keep pausing but it was just like a server came with the bread basket then it's like for henry's or came henry's order and then the third interruption during this very serious talk right was um the breadsticks on the table right exactly exactly every time a server came to put bread on the table or pour a drink or take an order they all stopped talking because obviously they're talking about their day in court right and they looked annoyed which i'm like why are you looking you know you chose to be here exactly public. Exactly. so there's just so much there's so much irony and i and i felt like it was brilliant of the writer and director to have that setting for this lunch so because i i think that it's more than just them having just a lunch at a fancy for all, all the things that son and i said mm-hmm Right. It communicates exactly what they need us to know. (laughs) Yes. Well, during this lunch, I feel like the son Henry is being annoying because you can tell. I mean, obviously, these are his parents. These are his parents. He wants them to get back together. And he said, Mom, you told us if we can survive this, we can survive anything. And I think this family can survive. And then we can get a dog. And dad, mom told me about about the story about your dog. And it's okay. We can get a dog now. And then he just looked furious. He looked furious. He looked annoyed. He looked right at Nicole Kidman, Grace, and said, she shouldn't have told you that. And walks out. And he just, he can't even sit at lunch with them and have this conversation with their son about having a dog. Of course, Grace, who is very, he's very successful at manipulating and gaslighting her. Yes. She gets up from the table to go talk to him. And that is the, in this restaurant is where he tells her, the family dog, I didn't kill the family dog. I killed the family sister. And oh, chills went on my spine. You're just like, as the viewer, right? As the viewer, you're just first of all the the way that he said it, and then um the the 
shock of knowing that he killed his sister now your mind is just going you know a million miles a minute thinking okay then he's definitely the killer of elena Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. or he decides to break down in front of he decides to break down in front of her while he's saying this right another manipulation of his is to be emotional when he's telling her this and he seems remorseful but you know at this point, she is, even though she's being manipulated and gaslit by him, she wants to get some answers from his family, who, if you remember, he said he is estranged from his family. She calls, uh, uh, Grace decides to call her mother-in-law. Wait, Janet. can I just pause there? Because there is this sure. little detail that he adds. Sure. He says that they call her Katie the Kitten. And so he was almost when he was telling the story it was uh, it was both confusing and ironic because he said it was a dog mm-hmm. basically their entire the entire time she knew him mm-hmm. he was replacing sister with dog now the whole sickness behind that is a whole other layer but then well we called her katie the kitten so it's almost like still making her equivalent her nickname almost kind of absolving him of this horrendous tragedy right i can't even call it a crime he said katie the kitten he said katie the kitten. My... yeah go ahead yes and so you're this whole time it's like wait is he talking about a, a little girl or is he talking about a cat like uh, uh, and and i mean funny enough my father-in-law thought wait wait i thought he was talking about a cat <laughs> because he really <laughs> did sound like he was talking about a cat that's just another and way he, he manipulates. He, mm-hmm. You could see that just like just like the way he said he loved Elena on Connie Chung, mm-hmm. he was trying to dig out of himself feelings mm-hmm. over the death of his sister. And right. I was like, wait a second. Wait a second. We were just, they were just two minutes ago having lunch talking about their family. And again, he was able to talk just like a narcissist, make it all about him. Right. There was something Henry that... was talking about them as a family, and then he was able to then make it about him. Right. Right. And what was I going to say? Something that you said in that. Oh, okay. Here's another thing he said in that confession. He said that that's why he went into pediatric oncology was because he wanted to save children because he was unable to save his sister, Katie. And, oh yeah, it just is, it's sick. It's the way that, the way that he is trying to manipulate her in that moment is. And and the viewers. And the viewers, right. Because you're seeing this because you're thinking, because you're like, wait, you lied about this too? First of all, who lies about this? Right. There's so many. I mean, every single episode you think, who? Okay, okay, yeah, all right. A husband having an affair again. Not that that's a terrible thing. I'm not discounting it, and but we can't even compare. We can't even put it in the same category of lies. No, as all these other things because the shock, the undoing. There's so many undoing in every single episode. Right. You're like, wait, what? Wait, what? Wait, what? And you're just like, <laughs> all right, you can't. Who who lies about this? And then who flees from a murder scene? If you're right innocent right and uh, go ahead so of course she's consoling him 
after he says this, you know, with again his, about with, him, makes it about him, right? With his fake tears, and and then okay, so fast forward to her getting what she wants answers from her mother in law, and right. tries to call her multiple times, no answer, and then late one night, her uh, it seems like it's they're using Skype. Yeah, she and gets us. Yeah, yeah, because she ahead. doesn't live in. Yeah, because it's that. I was like, ooh, I haven't heard that tone in a long time. Right. She gets a Skype call from her from her mother-in-law and uh, her mother-in-law mentions yeah it's been a long time we haven't seen you since the wedding and you know there's you know there's a little bit of small talk but then they get into the sister Katie the death of, of Katie and the mother-in-law shines light on that and says that they they thought that Jonathan's shock would wear off and he would show some remorse and um, he would be sorry. And those feelings never came. The guilt, the feeling of guilt never came. He was never sorry about it. And he chose to separate himself from the family. So, so the that's the bomb drop that they gave us through the his mother through Jonathan's mother is that he never felt guilty and he never felt remorseful for the death of his sister that he was very much responsible for she said in these exact words Jonathan does not know how to suffer so she was essentially describing without using the word but she literally said I mean who doesn't know how to who doesn't have feelings so a sociopath so she was essentially saying she said jonathan never felt guilty never and then that was you know for his entire childhood lifetime until he went to college and then he mm-hmm. left and never came back and that's what she said when he left the house he decided to leave he's he decided to leave it never came jonathan does not know how to suffer. um one other key thing so let's just process that but one other key thing that happens before this is that Henry tells his mom that he knew about the affair. Yeah. So that is the other huge bomb drop is he's like, mom, I saw them. And he, they were just talking. They weren't kissing. They were, they were talking. But the way that his father was talking, you know, you just know. You know, you don't have to be, you know, and this, this 13-year-old just knew. And then his, his father saw him looking at them mm-hmm. and smiled. Not like a smile like, <laughs> sorry but like i'm i'm doing this or i i don't even know how to describe it it was just also sickening it was, was it was sickening. like everything's fine nothing going on here that's what i felt like his smile was was communicating to henry jonathan smiling at henry was saying everything's fine go on and go to school right yeah, so this, this right so now was, we know now yeah. we know that henry was aware that his dad jonathan knew the victim elena and he said he could feel that something was wrong right he could feel that something was wrong and uh and then finally last cliff cliff's notes and that we could debrief on our theories <laughs> uh is the very last cliffhanger was that we all know that grace and henry are staying with 
President Snow, Franklin, her dad, right, in, at his house. And after this tough conversation with her mother-in-law, Grace goes into Henry's room. She pulls the covers over him just like any mom would. She starts picking up the mess on the floor, like some clothes on the floor. And she sees his violin, picks it up. And she was going to put the violin away in the case because it was just on the floor. And uh, in the violin case is the murder weapon. Or at least what we think is the murder weapon, which is a sculpting hammer. And she obviously is shocked. There's like terror in her eyes. And then cut to the son who is looking at her. (gasps) I just, I had to close it. I could not even. (laughs) I was like, my heart, when she goes into his room, my heart. Okay. First of all, that, that eerie conversation with the mother-in-law my heart was beating so fast and then it cuts over to like her telling her friend like he's a sociopath and then and then the third because she's she's already a psychotherapist so but any person who's not a psychotherapist would know that's a sociopath and then it cuts over to the scene in the room at the end last like 30 seconds of the episode and like as she's back my heart was beating so it's like he's gonna I didn't even see I, because I was covering my eyes after she saw the murder weapon. I just mm-hmm. I did not see his eyes looking at her because I was like, he's gonna wake up. He's gonna oh, wake okay. Up. <laughs> so I feel like I need to watch that last ten right. seconds. Yes, definitely. It is. It is eerie. It is terrifying because now all we're left with are questions. What does Henry know? What more does Henry know that he's not telling us? Is he capable? Is he capable of a of a murder this brutal and this inhumane? And right. where does that leave Jonathan? Because now we know he is a sociopath based on his own mother's account of who he is. He cannot suffer. He doesn't know how to suffer. And that explains so much. That explains how um, strained he looked when he was trying to say that he loved Elena. Right. And that explains his uh, all of the the change in his demeanor when he's confronted by Grace on henry's confession that he saw elena and jonathan talking you know it just it explains that scene with the attorney when she said you cast a spell and i want the jury to see what you see in yourself it is very eerie to even think that a murderer a psychopath like him could could walk free after something like this well all I have to say is from the very beginning, I've been saying it's Jonathan. You Jonathan, have been. It's Jonathan. It's Jonathan. We we know that the, the title of the book that The Undoing is based on is called You Should Have Known. And it's based on a, a paper that Grace writes. You should have known because of all the signs that point. And here's the thing. There's evidence. I mean, even without all of this, even if without knowing any of all this stuff about Jonathan being a, a sociopath, his, like, his evidence is there. And he fled the scene. Right. He's all of his finger. It's all over the, everything. The only missing is the murder weapon. And then again, an eyewitness, of course, those are, which means it's circumstantial evidence. But he was, like I said, two episodes, I said the very first episode, you're right. I was like, he is so charming. I love him. But, but then you're like, okay, he had an affair. He killed her. But then the thing was like, well, that's so obvious. So how can it be him? But it's like, well, it's so obvious. So it is him. But then it's the undoing of Jonathan thinking like, making everybody including the viewers and especially grace because we're looking through grace's point of view it's not me and here's all the reasons why i love elena i'm, I'm really sorry that i killed my sister I'm, I'm, I'm really sorry that i killed my sister i'm really sorry i had an affair and that's essentially that's all he's saying but he right. was successfully a able to get out of jail 
B, get a higher mm-hmm. pi- high-powered attorney. C, get on television and essentially get his family back together. All by his narcissism. I feel that that it is Jonathan. I want to know what the son has to do with it. I'm I'm curious to know if he might have said something to his son right as the helicopters came to pick him up. Remember how he was talking to his son while and he was confessing to um he was confessing to Grace. I did not kill her. Yes, I had an affair. Yes, I did this, but I didn't kill her. But he was um, like, don't scream, don't scream, then, which is weird. Very weird. There's still the question of the five hundred thousand dollars. When we found out that he was a sociopath from his mother, it it explains, like I said, all these different scenes. But I think about when he went to see Fernando, Elena's husband, and he forces himself in. He never, and you're right, he never says he's sorry. He just says, I didn't do it. Right. And he's like, I feel the same, I feel the same great grief as you do. I feel the same grief as you do because I loved her too. And when I think about it through the lens of what Jonathan's mom told Grace about him, I think that he was, he was using Elena this whole time. He was, um, and when he saw that she was going to break up his quote unquote perfect life with Grace and Henry, he got rid of her by way of murder. And then when he sees that Nicole Kidman, Grace, his wife is also questioning, then he begins to manipulate her. And I feel like his his demeanor, his demeanor in this previous episode is just showing he is tiring of Nicole Kidman as well. And that he probably will want to get rid of her as well and start a new life. Exactly, because he doesn't know he doesn't know he, he can't fathom all the complexity of everything that he's done or and he doesn't care he really doesn't care um i have to go back she starts trying to find answers she goes back to where he where she thought he worked and the co-worker said she's like psychopaths can't be killers and he said uh well i mean she said it in episode two he is a terrible person he said that to her face. i mean that was i mean it was just blatant it was just right and he said that particular doctor who she spoke to in episode three he said psychopaths cannot work in hospitals exactly so okay and then here's my other thing is we still don't know who his other affair was with so here's the theories it could be well i still think it's jonathan some things jonathan i have to say it again Mm -hmm. from the beginning it's been jonathan could it be president snow this is from the vulture article could it be president snow who hired someone to get the murder weapon and put it in henry's filing i don't know that's weird but just to get Henry away from Jonathan Frazier or, and this is what is very likely it is. It, it's, it's definitely Jonathan and he's obviously conspiring with his son to help him so that they can quote unquote, be a family again. Or is it the 11 year old or 13 year old, the tween did the tween do it? Was he capable? Did he follow his parents the night of the gala into Harlem by himself? And is right. he, it doesn't is he seem capable that... of murder? I don't, I don't see, I mean, it, it crossed my mind and I was like, okay, this is really eerie. It is creepy to think that Henry could be part of this. So, because Henry, as you were saying in the previous epi- episodes, that Henry serves as the voice of reason. 
And then to think that Henry is now part of this psychosis. He, he, he voices the voice of reason or he voices like the the, the casualty of a family be, being broken up. I don't know. Seeing that murder weapon in the violin case. Oh, because it's just the pretentiousness, like a violent, you know. And and here's another thing is like, that's where a, a sociopath, I, I can't begin to understand a sociopath, but why, why not burn the murder weapon? Why not hide it or bury it or throw it into the sea? Like the the throw fact it that into it's the being sea, hidden right. means that you want to be found or you want someone to know you did it. Right. So what? But why? Hide My it? thought is may- yeah. maybe that's not the murder weapon because it looked so clean. I think that's a murder. It has to be because that was creepy. It has to be. That, that was, was really creepy because you know sociopaths are creepy. They want I don't know proof of their work. I don't know who knows can't wait for next week i am can't wait for next week's um, episode that will give us all the answers we've been hoping for hopefully they will answer all of our questions right we are thankful for you for listening to our podcast that has been Dear our listener tiny venture tiny venture during the pandemic and um we've had fun doing it and we just really thank you for taking the time to listen to us thanks for always tuning in and giving us your reviews and also thanks for um responding to our insta stories they mean a lot yes they do thank you okay what about you deed what are you thankful for i'm thankful to be able to um celebrate with both families and also go see nature um lake tahoe um i'm thankful that all of us are healthy i really have to just say that that everybody is healthy okay so current obsessions and the first one is the fresh prince of bel-air reunion so good on hbo max if you have watched this please please message us and let us know but if you haven't i highly encourage you to to get hbo max and watch it it's completely worth your time especially if you were a fan of the show um we watched it growing up and it's still and then after this reunion show decided to rewatch it the entire series of fresh prince of bel-air which it's so it's so good and so funny it's nice to see the cast all back together again we get an answer about what happened to the original aunt viv and that was something that even if you Google it, you couldn't get a straight answer. So in this reunion, you find out and or we as the audience find out and there's a lot of closure. I feel like that in and of itself is worthwhile. It is because I only got into the first, um, I want to say like 10 minutes. Um, and it was really good just seeing. It just like brings you back. And then it it's like putting on like, a, like, a, like an old favorite sweatshirt. Um I'd have to say the Starbucks app because I didn't, um, I, I, I'm late to the game on this one, but, um, and I finally included like all my payment information so I actually, I could actually use it, but only after like literally scanning and we talked about Starbucks a lot, so this will surprise you, but the third or fourth time, because I barely just got the app a few months, like two months ago. Um, I already got like five dollars off of my order, and I was like, "Whoa, this makes me want to keep coming back." Very nice. It went from thirteen dollars to nine dollars. Okay, Starbucks app. I just want to go back and get more stars, get more points. 
We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Sisterhood as We Know It. If you like what you're hearing, leave us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts.